You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. families, our kids, um, you know, our, our other halves, um, you know, we, we leave it all here and then we go enjoy Christmas. Um, and then we come back in when, when time is and, you know, we learn from it. Yeah, I, I would say, um, it's tough when, you know, it's tough for a competitor uh, because there's always, uh, if I would have did this, you know, we could have won. Uh, if I would have did that, we, we could have won. Uh, it, it's always tough, but, uh, you know, the challenge is to, to be able to just be able to separate, you know, what, what, what you do here and, and your, your, you know, what, what you do at home, really. Um, and kind of just get your mind off it so that when you do come in, you know, you're, you have a clear mind, you know, you're, you're not just focused on whatever particular play that was that you messed up on. Um, and that everyone is, you know, has the chance to learn from, from that mistake. All right, that was Tua talking about uh, the injury he sustained on Saturdays. On Sunday, excuse me, um, when playing uh, against the Green Bay Packers, and um, man, this is, this is scary stuff. All right, we're going to get into that. Welcome to Big Noon Sports. Hope everybody had a great Christmas holiday. Uh, got a busy show today. We're going to be uh, talking with Andrew Bone at the bottom of the hour. Uh, wrap up sort of the early signing period uh, for Alabama, get his assessment on where things stand. We'll also discuss uh, Alabama landing an elite tight end, a real position of need in the transfer portal. And uh, we're also we're going to do a little bit of previewing of the Sugar Bowl. We're going to hear some audio from Coach Saban. And we're also going to talk with uh, Matt Finkus, former Ohio State defensive end, All-American, close friend of mine, who um, who will break down the Ohio State-Georgia national semifinal game, which to me is uh, the most intriguing matchup for sure. But let, let's start with Tua. And in uh, this... Uh, you know, there are several NFL players who work in the media right now, and they are urging Tua and the Dolphins not to play again. Uh, after he took, after he went into the concussion protocol, 
after what appeared to be just a, a, a normal sort of tackle, right? Uh, he, he threw a ball, and, and his, his, the back of his head sort of hit the, hit the back of the, hit, hit the turf there in, in Miami. And it, it didn't seem to be anything that jarring, but it was similar to when his head hit the turf against the Cincinnati Bengals back in week four. And uh, that was when he was hospitalized briefly. He went on to miss the team's next two games and returned in week seven. And you got to remember, four days before that game, during a win over Buffalo, he also showed concussion symptoms. Uh, but he was evaluated, stayed in the game. The Miami medical staff was just eviscerated from coast to coast for letting Tua go back in that game. And so now I think it's safe to say that Tua has suffered three concussions in about, uh, what, two and a half months or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's real concerns about whether or not he should ever step onto the field again. And, and, I'll, and I'll get into this a little bit later, but I wrote a book uh, a couple years ago with Jonathan Hernandez. It's called The Truth About Aaron, and it was about Jonathan's brother, Aaron Hernandez. And, you know, think whatever you want about Aaron Hernandez, but what is clear is that he suffered major, major CTE issues. His brain was uh, evaluated uh, at, up at Boston University, and, and Jonathan and I talked to the preeminent doctor when it comes to CTE and really concussions and and Aaron's brain because of the concussions he had suffered throughout his career going all the way back to middle school ball of course the, the concussions weren't really even diagnosed then you just you played through it but it did so much damage to his brain that if the, the doctor that we talked to up at Boston University, if she could have been put on the stand in his murder trial, she would have testified to the fact that Aaron didn't know right from wrong. Like He was so uh, cognitively damaged from football, specifically from concussions, that... He had uh, no sense of what was appropriate, what was inappropriate, uh, and he showed all the signs of CTE while he was alive. And you got to remember, he was very young when he passed away, or when he took his own life, I should say. Um, I think he was only 27. And we get into a lot of different things in, in the book. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm not here to argue anything about Aaron Hernandez. Um, but what is clear is that concussions played a major role in his behavior and they really affected him starting at a very young age. And so this is, it's just so scary what's going on with Tua. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously no doctor, but I think that, uh, he and his family need to have a, a long discussion about whether or not it's appropriate for him to step back out on the field. And certainly, I would think 
that uh, that they will not the uh, the medical staff uh, for the Dolphins and the and the NFL doctors won't let him back onto the field. Now, should this be career ending? Is it career ending? I, I, I you know, obviously we don't know that. Um, but it's just the the science is so murky when it comes to concussions, and uh, and and you know we're learning more and more about it, and um, you know the uh, the NFL even because of Tua and that first hard hit he took uh, in week three against the Buffalo Bills. And, and, you know, he, he got up and, and uh, after, again, it was the same type of deal, hitting his back of the head on the turf. He got up, he staggered, he looked punch drunk, looked like he was about to fall to his knees, and, uh, and then was able to keep going. And, and for whatever reason, the, the doctors let him keep playing. But after that, the NFL changed its uh, concussion protocol to mandate that any player who shows possible concussion symptoms, including a lack of balance or stability, and that's exactly what Tua had in that first game, that they have to sit out the remainder of the game. Um, but, you know, and, and Tua has said that the, those injuries, uh, you know, they, that they don't weigh on him. And, uh, and uh, boy... If I, you know, my son wants to play football. He's seven years old. He just got done playing flag football. And, you know, as a proud father talking here, Lincoln was just amazing. Uh, he was the best player on his team, fastest kid on the team, basically scored a touchdown every other time he touched the ball. And now he wants to play tackle football. And uh, I, I, I need to talk to people like uh, Christian Miller and, and, and others. And uh, Christian, just your initial reaction to what you saw uh, on Sunday when uh, Tua got hurt against the Packers. Uh, and, and, you know, it, was, it seemed like a, just a, a normal football play. And then, but then in the second half, he throws, what, three interceptions and just uncharacteristic, uh, poor decisions, inaccurate, didn't look like the same player. Just uh, just your reaction, and, and good afternoon, Christian. Yeah, Lars, you know, it's just unfortunate and heartbreaking because, um, you know, obviously a lot of people care about him as a football player, but um, even further, you really care about him as a person. And, uh, you know, Tua is 24 years old. He's lived maybe a quarter of his life. And um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, football is – um, it's great. It's it's so exciting and fun to watch. But you you definitely have to to really care about someone's long term health. And I think that's what we have to do here. And I think you need to you know consider, like you mentioned, maybe sitting them down for the rest of this year because you know two games isn't worth you know twenty years um, of of issues in his life. Um, you know, as you speculated and, and, and alluded to, you know the the research is still a little murky. That is still developing, but um, there is a lot of um, research that that does show um, that long-term um, issues can arise from from uh, repeated concussions, um, even just the the uh, subconcussive blows um, that are so uh, frequent in, in, in contact sports like football. But um, to have three, uh, well, at least you know two diagnosed and three alleged concussions um, in such a short span, uh, maybe just over two months, um, is alarming. It's concerning, and uh, it's one of those things that I definitely feel. Um, it's in his best interest to to take care of him. Whether you know he, I know he's probably going to want to play if he can. 
Um, but I just think at this point, it's almost best maybe sit him down for the rest of this football season, um, give him some time to heal and, um, you know, just really kind of just get back to his baseline and give his his brain some some time to just kind of just heal and, and, and rejuvenate. Um, because, again, this isn't something you want to play with. I know you look at other contact sports like boxing and MMA, and I can only imagine how many concussions those guys go through. Um, but in, in football, you know, just to hear the number of three concussions in one season – uh, really, in this short of a span, is is like I, like I said earlier, it's alarming. And uh, I just, you know, I, I care about him as a person and a brother. And I ultimately want to see him live a long and healthy life. And I feel like, you know, right now that that's mo- more that's most important. You know, football games aren't as important right now when you um, are speaking on on issues like this. Um, so I, I hope they make the right decision with him. I really do. Christian, have you ever had a concussion? Um, I don't, I don't, I might've had, you know, like a, a mild concussion, uh, playing football. Um, I had one outside of football. Um, but you know, typically, you know, concussion, 80% of them are, are usually resolved within seven to 14 days, but that's why it's so critical, um, you know, to, to acknowledge it and respect it and take the appropriate time off and give your time, give yourself some time to heal. Um, but I, I've never had one in football where, you know, I experienced, you know, gross motor skill uh, symptoms where, you know, I was wobbling or anything like that or um, experienced uh, confusion or was dazed. Um, so, no, I have not had one of those playing football. All right, more to come on Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, Matt Coulter has the day off. We'll be right back. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Your Crimson Tide women's basketball team begins SEC play inside Coleman Coliseum this Thursday at 6. So 48 the daytime high. Clear overnight tonight, below by morning near 29. And for tomorrow, sunny and warmer, a bit breezy at times. The daytime high on your Wednesday around 58 degrees. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 49 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Now it looks like there's a real possibility that they could be without Tua Sunday and potentially beyond. And let's hope that Tua Tungabailoa gets the treatment he needs and he gets well soon. Well, here's the thing I'll say first. There shouldn't be any question. There have been three incidents, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and yesterday. If we're serious about health and safety in the National Football League, if we're serious coming off a few years off the concussion lawsuit, if we're serious about protecting our players, Tua Tungabailoa shouldn't play anymore. This season, period. Now, if we want to go back on that. Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson and Christian Miller. Matt Coulter has the day off, and we are discussing Tua and the fact that he went into the concussion protocol a day after Miami was beat by the Green Bay Packers. And uh, this is... To his second concussion, sort of on the record, but it certainly appears to be his third concussion. And as I mentioned in the first segment, I, I, I wrote a book with um, uh, uh, Jonathan Hernandez, uh, who's Aaron Hernandez's brother. It's called The Truth About Aaron. And we went up to Boston and spent time with Dr. Ann McKee, 
who is the foremost expert, not just in the United States, but in the world when it comes to CTE. And this is why concussions are so scary, because concussions can lead to CTE. And uh, when uh, we asked Dr. McKee just about, about sort of football in general, this was her response. She said, I think football is dangerous. It's really dangerous, especially for kids. The problem is we can't see the brain getting damaged. The brain is floating. You have tremendous movement of the brain when you have a collision. It gets stretched, and it damages the inside part of the brain. When you stretch it, the blood vessels and nerve cells get torn. It starts little and gets worse. The younger you start playing football, the worse it will be. She said, uh, continued to go on, said, research has shown that... I booked a trip to Paris with my boyfriend, then we broke up. Research has shown that CTE can cause explosive rage, and this is what we saw in Aaron. Uh, And she said, you can become uncontrollably angry, you can have loss of memory, you can have social withdrawal and depression, impulsivity is common, so it is just total loss of control. And, uh, you know, we described, and she studied Aaron's brain, and uh, there were, we, Jonathan and I described to her, there were times when Aaron just absolutely lost self-control, absolutely would fly into a, a rage, very impulsive, uh, turned to drugs to try to calm the rage, and, um, and, and he, there was a certain degree of self-awareness that Aaron had, that he was sort of, uh, you know, uh, becoming mentally disabled. Um, and it got so bad that he couldn't control his mind, and he had to fight these tremendous impulses he was feeling. And, um, and it, it, it really, he lost the ability to think clearly. So this is why these concussions are so frightening. And the fact that Tua now... It certainly appears that has suffered three concussions in a in a very short amount of time. Now, Christian, uh, you you played football for a long time, and uh, I, I'm sure you've seen guys get concussed. If let's say uh, you were in my shoes, let's just start here. Let's say you're in my shoes, and, and my seven-year-old kid wants to, my seven-year-old son Lincoln wants to play tackle football next year. Would you, would you advise me that say to say, hey, that, that's no problem, go for it? Uh, the, the parents that I talk to, about ninety percent of them are, are are perfectly fine with having their eight-year-old play tackle football. Yeah, if it was me personally, um, from my experience, I, I would wait until he's older. Um, you know, I started real young, and um, again, I, I, it's tough to say because I, I don't want to uh, disrespect the sport that has given me so many, um, you know, valuable relationships and amazing opportunities. However, um, I do know now that I'm older that, um, you know, it, again, it's a contact sport, and what comes with that is is injuries, and specifically um, potential injuries to the head. And I feel that a, a child who's still young and developing. Um, is, you know, prone to injuries to the head that could, you know, translate into issues later on. Um, and, and I feel like the risk is not worth it. I would recommend maybe um, playing flag football for a number of years and maybe, you know, at the middle school level or even high school level, then um, introduce them to the tackle sport. 
uh, again, this is me personally. I know everybody's views are going to be different, um, but that's just kind of my stance on it. I'm also someone who's, you know, very keen and, and, and in tune with my health. And um, again, I, I just I think a, a, a child that young is just still developing. And I just don't think it's the risk is worth putting them out there. Um, with that being said, I do know they're doing what they can nowadays to, you know, implement better helmet designs that um, absorb the shock better and, and do a much better job of um, taking on those blows to help um, reduce the impact that the brain um, is receiving. However, um, the, the brain is an interesting thing. Uh, like that doctor mentioned, it's kind of floating and it's tough to, to stop because you could, you know, even probably shaking your head too hard if you're whipping your hair back and forth, it's probably not the healthiest thing for your brain. So that's the other side of things. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, your child could have followed the playground uh, swinging. I don't even know if they have monkey bars anymore, but they could fall on the, off the monkey bars <laughs> and get a concussion. Um, it's just one of those things where, you know, you just have to be as careful as you can and um, and if you can prevent something, I, I fully recommend that. But it's, it's tough to say, Lars. It's tough to say because I love football, but also no, I'm also very aware of the risks um, that come with playing the sport. You were drafted by the Panthers, and uh, when you got to say, you know, rookie mini camp or, or the start of training camp. Did they put you through some tests so that there would be a baseline that they some cognitive sort of measurements uh, that you would have when you were fully healthy, and then they could compare those measurements to once you took a a blow to the head? Is that sort of how it works, or can you walk us through what the concussion, how this this the whole concussion protocol works in the NFL? Well, well, again, I've never had one, so I, I honestly, I've never been in concussion protocol, so I, I, it's hard for me to tell you exactly. Um, I can tell you from what I've kind of gathered from seeing guys in the training room. However, it's probably not going to be the most accurate. Um, but you're right in terms of the baseline test when you know when they, they do that in college as well. Um, it's a baseline where um, you'll take you know like a, a computer genera- uh, generated test. Um, you know that m- might just ask you um, a bunch of different questions and kind of just get a baseline. Um, on your cognitive skills. Um, there's also a balance test that you initially do um, where you stand on uh, like a foam mat and you, you basically are kind of focusing on a center uh, dot, I believe. And uh, those are the two things that I remember. There might be several other tests, but from what I remember, those are kind of like the baseline things. You sit down on a computer and take a test and you also do the balance test. And typically, if if you are in protocol, I'm pretty sure initially, you know, they'll they'll start with, um, the dialogue test, meaning they might you know, quiz you, you know, the, the the time and day or who the president is. And then further testing will be evaluated, you know, comparing to that baseline, probably, you know, the computer generated test and the balance test. Um, but that's kind of me speculating because, again, I've never been in concussion protocol, but um, that's at least what you do initially. And if I had to guess, that's, that's probably what they're going to do is retest you. Then um, if, if I'm not mistaken, you have to keep uh, passing those tests further and further in order in order to get cleared. So obviously, if you go in there and you you take the test and, and they they compare it to the baseline, um, and you're relatively you know under your baseline, you clearly aren't going to be uh, able to play. So uh, I'm pretty sure that's for the most part kind of how that goes. Do you think um, you know? There's so many players, uh, former players in the media right now, saying one that Tua. Should at least shut it down for the rest of the year, and then others are saying that that he should retire. I mean, it seems a, a little bit of a knee jerk reaction, but uh, 
because we don't have all the information right now. Right. What, what are your thoughts on that? Just uh, of, of, you know, people sort of giving their opinions on ESPN and, and other outlets. Well, I think some of it comes from experience. I mean, you mentioned former guys saying this. I mean, they might be experiencing some concussion symptoms. I know my dad has, has mentioned, I think he actually was a part of that uh, concussion lawsuit against the NFL. You know, he's mentioned things like, you know, having headaches and, uh, you know, difficulty sleeping or just trouble paying attention sometimes. And, and I'm sure he, you know, uh, you know, relates that to, to maybe suffering some concussions while playing in the National Football League nine years. Um, so I, I think they're just um, coming from a – they basically are coming at it from a, a point of, hey, we care about this guy and we don't want to see him suffer any long-term issues. So um, I definitely think he should probably sit out the remainder of this year. Um, I don't know if I would say a career-ending um, situation just yet, but for the, for the time being, I would say sit out the rest of the season. Well, certainly a, a scary situation, uh, a sobering discussion, but I, I think a discussion that needs to be had uh, not just surrounding Tua, but uh, just uh, about concussions in general and the sport in general, and and not just football. I mean, there's plenty of concussions in in, in soccer, hockey, uh, any any sport where you are generating a lot of speed, and and there's uh, collisions. Uh, you're you're going to uh, there's going to be a potential for uh, one to get concussed. All right, when we come back, we are going to speak with. Andrew Bone of BamaInsider.com and On3Sports. He is the recruiting expert on Alabama. And we are going to sort of wrap a bow on this class of 2023. Talk to him about the tight end that that Alabama just landed in the transfer portal. And also look ahead to the class of 2024 and where Alabama stands in that. This is on. This is is big noon (laughs) sports. We'll be right back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. You've been putting back a few, and a few becomes a few too many. For a moment, you think of calling for a ride, but nah, you live nearby. What's the worst that could happen? You get pulled over. Started here as he throws back against the grain and Dupree with the blocks in front. CJ Dupree goes high hurdling, and that's a good start for the Terrapins, and they need that after the past two weeks. That was a little highlight clip of former Maryland tight end CJ Dupree hurdling over an Ohio State player. He's six foot five, two sixty, great athlete, and he is now an Alabama Crimson Tide player. Alabama just added him in the transfer portal. Here to talk about that and many other things is Andrew Bone of On Three Sports and BamaInsider.com. Andrew, how was your Christmas and uh, how was it celebrating it with your uh, little one year old? That was great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it was actually a COVID Christmas at my house, so. Uh, had to uh, keep everything locked in indoors pretty much, but uh, we, we had a, we had a good time. It was uh, short and sweet, but um, but yeah, we're finally starting to be able to see some family. And uh, you know, it was kind of crazy that with the early signing period this year. Yeah, they pushed things back, so 
Yeah, the early signing period, December 21st through uh, December the 23rd, which we were pretty much uh, finished on uh, on the 24th, but or excuse me, on the uh, on the 22nd. But we were still working. We were still putting out content, class grades, and all this stuff. So we were kind of working all the way up until um, you know, really Christmas Eve. Um, I think I had my last story posted Christmas Eve afternoon. So you know, it was a uh, you know, it was a little different this year with with the early signing period being pushed back and you kind of realize once you get there, well, I don't have much time to shop, but hopefully, um, hopefully my wife has picked out pretty much everything, uh, that we needed. So it was kind of a, uh, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, it, it is, uh, in your situation is definitely good to have an understanding wife and you, uh, <laughs> I, I love the fact that you even put that phrase in your Twitter bio. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Uh, that um, before we get into this class of 2023 and what well may be an a, a historic class, um, what can you tell us about uh, Maryland tight end CJ Dupree, who Alabama just signed him uh, from the transfer portal? Uh, he, I think, his decision came down between Ohio State and Alabama, and uh, this is a big, big pickup for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, yeah, I think anytime you add someone from the transfer portal or, or add or even a junior college player, you're you're going after that player for a specific reason because you have a need there, you have depth issues there, you're hoping that that player can come in and contribute right away because you know, they've, already, they've already been playing college football for a couple of years. So, uh, you know, they're not coming in to sit the bench, and you don't want them to. You don't want to waste a scholarship on a guy that's going to come in and just, you know, Take time and uh, you know sit sit on the bench the entire uh, you know afternoon. You want those players to come in and make a big impact on your team and uh, and to be able to help. And I think that Alabama you know really wanted to add more to its tight end room. I think you know last year they signed four tight ends in the recruiting class, but I think you know, with what we've seen over the course of the last you know eight months with Alabama. Now, they got a commitment from Ty Lockwood, flipped him away from Ohio State, but they kept going after tight ends. Um, you know, they kept trying to flip Lawson Lucky from Georgia. They kept trying to flip uh, Luke Haas away from Arkansas. It just didn't happen. Those guys stuck. So from seeing that, you know, especially after last year's haul, I, I think it. I think there's probably a little bit of concern uh, from an Alabama team perspective. They want to add some more talent at that position, and, you know, you go, you're going into next year probably not knowing, probably until today, you know, who the starter was going to be at that position. Uh, you still may not know. You still need to get C.J. Dupree on campus, work him out, and, uh, get him used to everything and see if he can, uh, you know, make a big contribution to your team next fall. But I think that there are some, you know, some concerns there at the position. So getting another tight end in this class, you know, coming in with some, uh, obviously, some great experience uh, playing in the Big Ten at Maryland uh, and playing in some big games. I think Alabama has a lot of faith that he's going to be able to come in and contribute right away. He's a big dude, six foot five, two hundred sixty pounds. Uh, obviously, can run. Uh, you know, didn't have mind blowing stats, but you know, three hundred and you know, ten yards or something like that this season. Three touchdowns. Jameson Williams came into Alabama. I think you know after or excuse me after receiving. About 300 yards during uh, <laughs> during his junior season, so or uh, our sophomore season, whatever it might be. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think Alabama's really excited about this kid. They brought him on campus a few weekends ago. I think it was three weekends ago. You know, got a chance to meet him, uh, you know, get, you know, accurate measurables on him. You know, we see the highlights. We see the, you know, clips on social media. We see, you know, some, some games that, that he's played in, you know. But Alabama's doing a lot more than that. You know, they're doing as much digging as they possibly can on somebody that they're offered a scholarship to. They're talking to Mike Locksley. They're talking to the, you know, coaches at Maryland. They're trying to get as much information as they possibly can. They're going through his academics. They're breaking down every single game film that this kid has played in over the course of the last couple of years. So they know a lot more about him than, than even we do. And I think they're really excited, uh, you know, about this player. Uh, I think that, you know, he would, he's one of, he's the only player that has entered the transfer portal so far that Alabama has extended a scholarship offer to. And there's been other tight ends, uh, that have jumped into the portal and, you know, we've seen all these different rumors on message boards. Oh, you know, they need to go after this guy because he was pretty, he was pretty special here. He had this many catches. He had this many touchdowns. But I think once Alabama really kind of broke it all down and evaluated these guys and decided who they wanted to bring in. For an official visit, you know, they determined that this was the guy that they wanted. So they've done pretty well in the transfer portal, um, you know, through the last few years as far as evaluations and um, you know getting these guys in and, and making a big contribution to the team. So I think that's the the hope that they're going to uh, you know have with CJ Dupree next year. Andrew, we heard Coach Saban uh, speak on. Uh, you know, it, it just being such a challenge to find uh, a truly talented cornerback. Um, but then not long after, uh, they got uh, Desmond Ricks to sign. What does he uh, bring to the table? And, and what, what can people expect out of Desmond Ricks, uh, the cornerback out of IMG? Well, I think first thing that jumps off, um, you know, from screen is you know, just his size. I mean, this is a six-foot-one, 80-pound, 170-pound, 180-pound cornerback. I think he can you know, add a little bit of weight, but you know, going from his you know, reclassifying from being a junior to a senior, now he is, you know, he's already going to be, you know, he'll be 18 next fall. So, uh, you know, it's not like you know, he's really young, but I, I think that, you know, this is a kid that, you know, they really liked from a very early, um, the early stages of his recruitment. Um, you know, Traveris Robinson, defensive backs coach, Started recruiting him when he was just a freshman at IMG Academy, and this is a kid that started two years at IMG as a sophomore and as a junior played significant uh, competition during his um, freshman season. He's originally from Chesapeake, Virginia, but been at IMG for the last three years and has been going up against elite competition, uh, you know, every single day at practice. You know, not just on Friday nights or Saturdays. You know, he's going up against you know guys that are you know five star type players that are signing. You know, with major universities, uh, you know, every single week for the last three seasons. So there's a lot of experience there. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. Uh, got a lot of speed. I think he's a guy that you know that can come in and and make a. I I don't want to say he's going to come in and start right away, but I think he's going to have an opportunity to potentially see the field early in his career just because of the type of talent that he brings to the table. Um, you know, we we've seen some young corners see the field uh they may not be great their first year but to get that uh game experience early on in your career you know really kind of helps prepare you you know for that next season for that sophomore season you know we've seen you know such a big jump with 
so many corners through the years from their freshman to their sophomore year and obviously from their sophomore year to their uh, junior year. You know, guys like Drake Kirkpatrick, you know, Dee Milner, Cyrus Jones, Pat Sertan. I mean, just so many elite guys that have come in and had, um, you know, have been able to get some experience as true freshmen, but then by that next year or two, you know, they really become uh, elite guys. So I'm really excited to see what Alabama is able to do with Desmond Ricks over the course of the next couple years. This was a big get for them because corner was, it was, there was no doubt this was a, a priority position for them. And there weren't a lot of great corners out there in this class. There were some good ones, but they were all kind of at the top. They were all, uh, you know, priority guys for a lot of different schools. So it was kind of a challenge down that home stretch for Alabama because they missed out on uh, Cormani McLean, who's still available. Uh, they missed out on um, uh, Malik Muhammad, who's stuck with his commitment to Texas. And we, we heard different recruits come out and say how important NIL was to them, and it was a big factor in their decision. And a lot of those guys just happened to be cornerbacks in, the, in this year's recruiting class. But um, Desmond Ricks was just one of those guys that you kept with Alabama, they kept hoping that they were they would be able to uh, to land him, and, and they were able to do that. So, I got to give a lot of props to uh, Traveris Robinson because that was a you know that was a great job recruiting him. Andrew, we didn't get a chance to talk to you um, when the early signing period ended, uh, or after the early signing period ended, and and the the late surge by Alabama was absolutely remarkable. Just looking at the uh, on three rankings, which I, I think that you, you guys do such a good job because you take in uh, the, the basically the consensus of, of different sites and it's not just your own site. And the fact is now Alabama has seven five stars in this class. No other team in the country has more than three. And almost more impressive is 24 stars and Alabama only has one three star. Now, where does this class, at least on paper, where does this rank in the Saban era? And were you surprised that uh, in just those last few days of the signing period, it was just like five-star after five-star after five-star when it came down to Alabama or another big-time school seemed to choose Alabama? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. The, the final five commitments in Alabama's class were all five-stars, so uh, yeah, it doesn't typically work out that way, uh, but it worked out that way for Alabama in this situation. And uh, just an unbelievable finish for for the side. I mean, we heard all these you know different things throughout the entire season. You know, Nick Saban was uh, you know losing a step on the recruiting trail on the field, uh, and and now you see um, you know what kind of uh, fueled the fire there. And, and Alabama was able to go in and, and sign. You know, perhaps the best recruiting class of the the Nick Saban era. You know, we're not going to know that for a couple of years down the road. But on paper, coming in, uh, the, this is the best recruiting class. Um, and I know there would be a lot of arguments about it, but uh, in, in like I said, we'll see what it looks like here in the next couple of years. But on paper, this class is pretty spectacular, especially when you add in the fact that. There was only one three-star in the entire recruiting class, and it was a it was the kicker. Uh, you just you're not ever going to see a four or five-star kicker on there, as good as as good as they might be. But yeah, it was an incredible job by the Alabama coaching staff. Got to uh, give a lot of credit to a lot of guys on the staff, but uh, you know a lot of support staff 
that work behind the scenes that do such an unbelievable job when these kids are on campus. And, you know, a lot of work that goes into it, a lot of time uh, spent away from your families to recruit these guys. So, uh, unbelievable job by the entire, um, you know, Alabama organization. And, and finally, Andrew, is uh, is Alabama done with the class of 2023 now? Probably. Uh, you know, there might be a few guys that they're, they'll take a look at. You know, Cormani McLean, as I mentioned, still available. Uh, you know, Alabama may look into that, just kind of see where things are with him. But as of right now, I think they're pretty much done. Uh, you know, transfer portal, still an option for Alabama. So maybe after the bowl season, some other guys decide to transfer, they could look in there uh, and uh, and see who's available. Thank you so much, Andrew. Great stuff as always. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew J Bone. It's Andrew J Bone of uh, On Three Sports. And uh, man, have a great uh, rest of uh, the holidays here. Enjoy New Year's and enjoy the little baby. They grow up way too fast. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. Y'all have a happy New Year. Thanks, Andrew. Happy New Year to you. All right, we'll be right back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. For everything your business needs to make this year your year, Staples has you covered. I need to organize all my papers and files from last year and the year before that. Staples has you. Though 48 the daytime high. Clear overnight tonight, the low by morning near 29. And for tomorrow, sunny and warmer, a bit breezy at times. The daytime high on your Wednesday around 58 degrees. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 53 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Guys, see the fact that you really create value for yourself when you play football. There's a lot of guys out there that say, I'm not playing because I'm going to get ready for the draft. Well, how do you get better ready for the draft by playing in a game against good competition? And I think both those guys sort of realize that. And we've done everything that we could do as an institution to minimize the risk for them to play. So, uh, and I think it's a great example for college football that guys that are special players who've had great seasons and have won numerous awards choose to continue to play and support their team. Nick Saban commenting on the fact that Alabama's best players are going to be playing in the Sugar Bowl. Christian, are you surprised that Will Anderson, Bryce Young, and Gibbs are all going to be playing against Kansas State. Uh, yes and no. Um, I'm not surprised getting to know those guys uh, on a personal level um, and knowing their character and their competitive nature. I'm not surprised. Uh, the only reason I would be surprised is um, knowing that you know agents and family. Um, I could definitely imagine those um, sorts of groups influencing uh, players and, and recommending them not play. But um, ultimately, it's their decision to make. And uh, they made that decision. And uh, um, I think it's a – I don't think – again, I guess time will tell. But I don't think there's a, a, a good or a bad decision. You know, I think if anything, it 
gives them the opportunity to further cement uh, their legacy within the program, even though they've accomplished more than almost every single player that's come through here. Um, however, I think uh, now this cements their legacy um, of their character and their competitiveness, uh, not just the accolades that they received while they uh, were on the football field. And uh, again, I just I think it's very admirable and respectable and uh, hope they go out there and they get the job done uh, one last time with their teammates and uh, uh, pray for their, their health and safety in the game. But uh, ultimately, I think um, they'll look back on it and be glad that they, they shared the field one last time with their brothers. This is just a gut feel for me, but it feels like this Alabama team is locked in and ready to play in this in this game, even though they're not in the playoffs, unlike when they played in the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma several years ago, and even before that, Utah in, uh, I believe it was the Sugar Bowl as well, where they came up short in both of those games. Do you get that sense as well? And I know we're running low on time here. I, I, I do, Lars. I, I think, you know, they're, they're probably a little pissed off. You know, they faced a lot of criticism over the past couple months, and uh, I think they, they kind of got tired of it, and they finally flipped that switch. So hopefully they go out there and, and, and they prove that one last time this season and, and can further uh, continue on the right track and, and bring that and carry that over into next season. All right, well, let's continue the discussion next hour. This is Big Noon Sports with Christian Miller and Lars Anderson, and we'll be right back. in your vehicle and save $10 on a pair of Trico Force wiper blades now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Welcome back into the show, Hour 2. Christian, I did not get a chance to ask you about your Christmas. Do you have any uh, traditions? Uh, is there a, 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 a food staple that you normally have on Christmas? How, how, how was your Christmas? It was good. I appreciate you asking. Uh, just nice and laid back. Uh, enjoy some really good food. My mom loves to cook, and uh, so we, we, we really enjoyed that. Uh, man, we there's no, I don't think there's a food that she can't make, and uh, she cooks so well. So I'm always I'm always satisfied when she cooks. But you know, we had ham, steaks, mashed potatoes, black eyed peas, squash, uh, man, uh, some dressing, just all all type of stuff. It, it was amazing. That was that was my favorite part. How about yours? Is it pretty good? Yeah, it was great. Uh, had my kids, just uh, the three of uh, three of them and I. And, you know, it's like. You spend hours and hours and hours shopping for them and wrapping gifts and trying to make the presentation look really nice. And then when it's time to open the presents, it's like uh, three baby sharks after chum. <laughs> I mean, they just <laughs> tore them apart and everything is opened in like, uh, you know, two minutes and it's over. Uh, and it's funny, like the thing that all three of my kids... Lincoln, my seven-year-old, and my twin girls, Farah and Autumn, my five-year-olds, what they love the most 
was a classic toy that I think cost me like 99 cents, and that was a slinky. They oh, love wow. to play with the slinky. <laughs> yeah, they love the slinky. Uh, slinky and silly putty. Like, you can just never go wrong with uh, with that. And uh, those I got are two good up, ones, though. Like those are two good ones. I, I, yeah. I used to play with those when yeah. I was a kid, too. <laughs> Yeah, it was, and you know, it's it's fun too when you have like little kids. It's like you get to relive your own childhood, and so I was able to play with the slinky, and so I actually able to get. I was never able to do this when I was a kid, uh, because I just couldn't pull it off. But I was able to get the slinky to go down uh, the the stairs in my house, and I was like, oh my gosh, just that you actually can do it. And if you remember those old TV commercials, did you get any cool gifts? Oh, yeah, I got some, uh, got the, the new set of, uh, AirPods, which are amazing. The quality on them is so good. You know, I'm always in the gym, so I need a, I need a good set of, uh, you know, uh, headphones or, or earbuds. And those new, those new, uh, Apple AirPods, man, the quality on them are insane. I love them. And, uh, yeah, got some, got some clothes, got, got a good book, new David Goggins book. So, got, got some good stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, man, I always lose my earbuds, and so I'm I'm like the old guy who uh, who <laughs> who who has the 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 my buds that connect into my phone uh, oh, yeah. that nobody wears anymore. But um, yeah, I mean, really, the only gift I got was uh, uh, a, a really nice picture of my kids. And it was from my ex-wife. So uh, that tells you the state of my life, that my best <laughs> gift came from my ex-wife. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm very some. great. I'm, I'll have to get you some. <laughs> very, I'll add hey, you to I'm, the list. You know what? My, <laughs> that sounds good. No, my, uh, you know what? Like, health and happen. my kids are happy. Like, that's that's the best. And just spending time together and, uh, you know, it was, it was – uh, it was a little chilly on on Christmas Day, but we still went out, and then for the first time ever, we got to play two on two in my driveway, played basketball, uh, and uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun, um, and it's I don't know, it's just little moments like that that uh, I'll remember forever. It's it's not the it's not the gifts. It's uh, it's a it's the shared experiences, the time, and. And uh, it's just uh, amazing how fast uh, how fast it goes, how fast they're uh, they're growing up and becoming these uh, young little adults. Uh, my uh, my April got them. Their mom got the the girls these uh, the, these uh, gizmo watches that allow them to uh, call me. And so now my girls uh, during the show they've each called me like eight times. <laughs> They're obsessed <laughs> with uh, making phone calls. It's, it's just pretty cute. It's pretty cute. Oh man, uh, you got to watch no, out now, Lars. Don't let them give their phone uh, numbers out at school. The little boy's gonna be. Calling I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I'm just it's. I it, no man. It's uh. It, it's it's. Uh, I I can already tell that there's there's little boys who are sort of uh, they've caught the eye of and and actually it's uh, there's two girls who are in Lincoln's class that are chasing him around wanting wanting a little kissy kissy on the on the cheek. <laughs> but uh, do they still yeah, do cooties? It's, it's, uh, do, they, do they still do cooties? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lincoln is not interested at all, but you know it's, a, it's the little girls that usually, I think, develop a little faster and and and, and want to do that kind of thing. But uh, 
Anyway, uh, yeah, so back, back to the world of sports. And uh, another Alabama quarterback uh, in the news this weekend, and that was uh, Mac Jones. Don't know if you saw this, Christian, uh, but, but Mac Jones really was has taken a lot of heat for what uh, a lot of folks are calling a, a, a dirty hit on cornerback Eli Apple of Cincinnati. And uh, the NFL is reviewing the play, and uh, there could be a, a fine coming. And just uh, just to summarize it, with there is about six minutes left in the fourth quarter, second and eleven from the Bengals thirty, and Mac Jones he he was getting pressured by uh, Bengals safety Vaughn Bell, and he he tried to underhand like an incomplete pass, but it, it looked like a fumble. Uh, but it, it, but and so what happened was uh, Jermaine Pratt of Cincinnati scoops up the ball. He's racing towards the end zone, and Pratt he was being trailed by Patriots wide receiver uh, Twycon Thornton, and Mac Jones is also in the direction, and he was trying to catch him. But there was no way Mac Jones was going to catch Pratt, and Eli Apple was there, and then right about the 26 yard line. Jones is in front of Apple, and Jones, Mac Jones, drops to the ground in front of Eli Apple, and uh, and he was Eli Apple was really upset, thinking that it was a dirty play, that it was Mac Jones going after Eli Apple's knees, and really both of them were sort of out of the play at that moment. Uh, just your reaction uh, to that play, I, I assume you saw it. I did. I think you read my mind. I actually was going to ask you about that if you had seen it right before you mentioned that. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's up for debate, right? Um, and I think the reason um, initially so many people thought it was um, from a place of um, you know uh, ill will was probably because this isn't the first time uh, something has come up that might have been you know speculated to be kind of intentional, you know, trying to. Uh, you know, hurt an opponent. Um, for example, I'm referencing, you know, when he when he played against the Carolina Panthers, um, I think it was either, a, a, I think he got hit for a forced fumble and he, he grabbed uh, my former teammate, uh, Brian Burns' ankle, and it appeared he almost kind of tried to twist him or hold him up. Um, I think there's another situation where he's playing the Bears and he yeah. goes to slide and he kind of kicks his foot up. Kicks, um, and yeah. kicks to the groin. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think when people see this, they, their initial reaction is obviously going to uh, go to the, to the, uh, a negative uh, type of, of deal. And, and if you look at it, you, you can, you can kind of get two things from it. Either a, he's kind of trying to avoid being hit himself. Cause that is one thing I will say. They always say, don't let the quarterback make the tackle on a, on a turnover. They always say like target the quarterback and block him. I don't know if it's just an ego thing or what, but we, we always have said that on defense. And with that being said, you know, typically I'll even, you know, look, think back to, you know, Cooper Bateman back in 2015, I believe, through an interception against Ole Miss. And he got his clock cleaned. And I'm pretty sure that was probably the last play he played that season because Jake Coker ended up going in the game, taking over that job, and ultimately led us to a national championship. Um, so I think Matt could have been protecting himself, but just going down. However, it's not a good look um, because it, it, it seemed kind of, um, it, it just, it, it seemed, Kind of pointless. He didn't really need to do it. He could have just, you know, moved himself out of the way without going down at a player's legs. 
Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely a tough thing. But I, I think I saw that the NFL did, in fact, fine him for that. He didn't face a suspension, but he is going to be fined. And here is uh, Shannon Sharp, uh, Hall of Fame tight end on Mac Jones. Cheap shots you and get you back. Now, remember now, the difference is you're not built to take no cheap shots. No. You're not built to take no blinds. You're not built like that. Somebody gonna peel your cap, bro. Mm. Cause they gonna get they tired of this, this foolishness because they're already resentful because why skip quarterback gets all the protection to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And so now you're gonna take take it if somebody needs, yep. and everybody knows knees are the lifeblood of the NFL. That's your livelihood. Yeah. So remember last week we had Patriot greats like Edelman and uh, Vince Wilfork yeah. publicly criticizing Mac Jones for his pissy attitude because right. he's always scowling and fretting. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. He's complaining about so, Christian, is there almost like a frontier kind of justice in the NFL? I know there used to be, where even though uh, uh, the Patriots won't be playing the Bengals uh, next week, in years past, if there was a dirty play on a uh, that a, that is a quarterback or whoever uh, committed in a game, the next team would go out of their way to really make sure that that player knew that it, that that is unacceptable behavior in the NFL. Now, does that sort of unspoken rule exist? You know, there's all these unspoken rules, unwritten rules in baseball. I mean, we could get it. it there's a, a gazillion of them. But is there anything like that in the NFL? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, and, and do, it's partly in due to the fact that uh, you know, guys want to have their teammates back, and when they see uh, an action like that that can potentially cost one of their teammates, one of their brothers' careers, um, you know, they, they get emotional. They're highly offended, and uh, they're resentful at that, and they, they, they <laughs> in a lack of other words, they want they want their payback. They want to get their get back. And, uh, yeah, so you got to be careful doing stuff like that, especially, you know, Shannon alluded to, you know, he's a quarterback. Um, guys already don't really like quarterbacks just because, you know, they're kind of the prima donnas of the league. You know, you can't even, uh, you know, tap their shoulder without getting a flag thrown on you. So um, you, you probably don't want to, uh, you know, collect that reputation uh, amongst NFL because it is a brotherhood uh, regardless of you're, you're playing against guys and there's rivalries and whatnot. Uh, at, at the end of the day, it's a brotherhood. You know, I still keep in contact with all the guys I've played with and uh, we're all real close. So, you don't you don't want to uh, establish that negative reputation for being dirty, but um, you know maybe it wasn't completely intentional. However, again, when when there's been you know this is maybe the fourth incident, um, it's starting to become you know potentially a habit. And uh, yeah, you just <laughs> I guess the best I can say is maybe keep your head on a swivel if you play them again. <laughs> yeah, um, it's so bizarre because you never hear of a quarterback being labeled a dirty player. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, I don't think I've ever. Yeah, and and also it seems out of character for the Mac Jones that I got to know when he was at Alabama. Now clearly uh, he was frustrated against the Bengals, and maybe that's why he did it. But uh, it, yeah, I, it, it just it, it just doesn't seem like the guy that I knew. Not saying I'm not saying I knew him very well. But uh, but certainly I talked to him uh, several times and felt like I had a, a decent sense of who he was. Uh, are, are you surprised by this or is it just frustration sort of manifesting itself on the football field? 
I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think it's just frustrations manifesting. I, I'm, I'm not going to go out my way and say, oh, you know, his character, you know, shows. No, because Mac is a great guy on and off the field. He's a great leader, uh, highly competitive. But I think sometimes this competitiveness um, comes out and uh, in some some not so pleasant ways. And, and that might be, you know, displayed by, you know, unintentionally or intentionally doing something like that um again i don't think i think in the moment i think it's just one of those things emotions are running high and he kind of just does an action in the moment um but yeah no he's he's a great guy Uh, i just think it's part of the game when he's in the heat of the moment yeah that's what i think like national media is missing like mac jones he is ultra competitive and that's why he's yelling at his coaches that's why he's getting in the face of his players and and I don't know, I, I guess that's rubbing people the wrong way because he hasn't, you know, earned his chops in the league. Is is, is that a correct assessment? Sure, yeah. I, but I think the biggest thing is you never want to jeopardize someone else's career. Just like Shannon said, you know, knees are so important. They're, they're, they're pivotal in having a successful career. And if something happens to your knees, um, that can completely derail uh, a player's career. So that, I think that's why they're taking it so uh, so highly. Um, so so I, my, my advice to Matt would just maybe <laughs> calm down with some of those things because, again, you, you, don't, you don't want that reputation. Alabama quarterbacks in the news in the NFL. All right, we'll be right back. This is Big Noon Sports. More Big Noon Sports coming up. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Did you know that over 90% of male enhancement pills are virtually the same thing that's repackaged, redone over and over again? Why settle for the same old product when you can get something completely... 48 today, time high. Clear overnight tonight, below by morning near 29. And for tomorrow, sunny and warmer, a bit breezy at times. Today, time high on your Wednesday around 58 degrees. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 53 degrees in Tuscaloosa. trying to do on that play what was it like from your perspective yeah i think um obviously you know i went down in front of him to kind of get in the way to stop him from slowing down taekwon who obviously could make the tackle there so just kind of went down in front of him and um trying to stop a fast guy from getting to another fast guy so just split second decision and there's a lot that goes into it um you're out there trying to compete and the physical game so just trying to help the team win and um have all the respect for Eli and the Bengals, they played a great game. So um, there's no hard feelings and definitely no intention to hurt anybody on that play. Um, nor do I believe that when I'm playing quarterback, that's what you know, I get hit a lot too. So we're all out there playing playing hard, and um, that's just part of the game. Did you know the play had been was dead? That was Mac Jones on WEEI out of Boston. Those dudes like to stir it up in Boston. <laughs> it's really a fun sports radio show. Boston is a uh, unique sports town. Spent a lot of time in Boston. Um, yeah, so that, that was Mac Jones' explanation of uh, what he was thinking uh, on, on that play that we were just discussing and uh, Christian, some some more news out of the NFL this morning. Uh, J.J. Watt uh, announced over Twitter 
that uh, that this is going to be his last season. And uh, what a career he's had. And uh, I went back and looked at the 2011 NFL draft. And J.J. Uh, Watt was selected number 11 overall by the Houston Texans. But gosh, this first round is just insane. All right, number one to the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton. Mm. Number two, Vaughn Miller to the Broncos. Wow. Number three, Alabama's Marcel Darius. Number four, A.J. Green to the Bengals. Number five, Patrick Peterson to the Cardinals, who Bruce Arians has told me is the single greatest uh, athlete he's ever coached. Number six, Alabama's Julio Jones to Atlanta. Number seven, Alden Smith, uh, linebacker from Missouri to San Francisco. And this is the outlier. Number eight to the Tennessee Titans, Jake Locker, quarterback out of Washington. That didn't work out. And then uh, just skip down 10, it was Blaine Gabbert, quarterback out of Missouri. Blaine Gabbert's actually had a, not a terrible career. I mean, he, he's still in the league. Uh, made just millions and millions of dollars as a quality backup. And then number 11 was J.J. Watt. Um, and, and, and we can get into, like, you know, his, uh, his statistics and everything. But what, what do you think of uh, Christian when uh, you think of J.J. Watt? A dominant, disruptive player, you know, a force. You know, he, he, he wreaks havoc you know, on opposing uh, offenses. And uh, just a guy that um, is just the epitome of a tough, hard-nosed football player. You know, I'm, I'm almost positive he started off as a walk-on, if I'm not mistaken, um, in college. Yes, yep. And then, yeah, to, and to work his way up uh, to be a first-round draft pick. And, I mean, here's just some of it. Just a several – these are several of his career highlights and awards. You know, three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Walter Payton Man of the Year, uh, which is a huge accomplishment off the football field, five-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, five-time Pro, Bowl, five-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL sack leader. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, so this guy is, um, you know, without a doubt, going to be a Hall of Famer. And, uh, again, just the way he plays the game with a lot of passion and energy, I've always respected. Uh, again, when you watch him, he's just so disruptive, um, you know, and he's so versatile. You know, you see him line up in a five technique on the edge uh, going against tackles. You see him slide down into a three technique, uh, taking on double teams and, and uh, winning on the interior. Uh, just He can just do so many things. And then, 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 then you look at – you know, his younger brother, T.J. Watt, who's arguably one of the best players in the NFL now. Yeah. Um, and they also have another brother, Derek Watt, who's um, T.J.'s teammate in Pittsburgh. Um, so just such a gifted family and uh, definitely going to miss watching J.J. out there. You know, I always watched him growing up and uh, just uh, so much respect uh, to him as a player, but also as the man he is off the field. You see him do so many charitable donations and uh, drives and so much uh, philanthropy work outside of uh, football with his foundation, the J.J. Watt Foundation. So just so many awesome things that he's done and contributed to the game um, as well as off the field. Yeah, I have a lot of reporter friends who have covered J.J. over the years, going all the way back to Wisconsin. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, reporters like to complain about everything, right? <laughs> they they won't do it to the face of the player, right. but they will do it to another reporter. And um, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about J.J., just, uh, just a, a classy guy. And what, what is uh, so striking about him, and, and you mentioned it, the fact that he was a walk-on, and, and he was a walk-on tight end, if I'm not mistaken, at, at Wisconsin. And he's just a, a self-made player. 
I mean, and I don't know if there was like, was there one characteristic of JJ's that 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 sticks out to you? I mean, is it just like that that internal motor that's redlining all the time, or or was it just raw strength, quickness, or just a, a combination of things? I think a combination. I think you nailed all of them. I mean, and then that's what makes him stick out. I mean, he's he plays with such a high motor, you know, so much energy and passion, but he's just so disruptive. Um, you know, he's so elusive the way he gets skinny to be such a big guy. I mean, this guy is six five, like two hundred ninety pounds, but he moves like he's two hundred and fifty pounds. And again, you can line him up anywhere and he's gonna win those one on one battles, whether it's on the edge or inside. Um, you could put him anywhere. And uh, he just is so dominant. And uh, I, I think again, he just uh, he, he just uh, is just the epitome of one of those guys. Like you said, you see him in the offseason. I mean, this guy just works extremely hard, and he's earned everything that he's accomplished. And uh, you just, there's just no way you can't respect a guy like that. Yeah, and um, yeah, really happy for him. And he, I, I think he's a he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's just one of three players to be named uh, Defensive Player of the Year three times, uh, along with Aaron Donald and and Lawrence Taylor. And and in, in those prime in those prime years of his career, uh, when he won Defensive Player of the Year, 2012, 2014, 2015. I mean, they're just uh, – I can't remember a, a defensive end being as dominant as, as he was. I mean, it, it's rare for a, a guy to control the game from from that position. But, uh, you know, even though he was consistently, what, double-teamed, put a tight end over him or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, he always just, just made play after play after play. Um, yeah, so he'll be missed. But, boy, his brother – you know, when I was at Bleacher Report, I really wanted to do a story on on TJ and JJ, but uh, they just they politely declined um, because I, I just wanted to go and and uh, go up to because they would always work out in Wisconsin where they're from in the off season and and they would be with their their dad and and uh, and and just you know sort of like out in the country uh, you know just doing like really sort of. Uh, uh, like old school workouts, yeah. Uh, almost like like country tough, like farm strong kind, That's of, right. kind of guys, and uh, uh, yeah, really interesting stuff. Okay, well, when we come back, we are going to speak with Matt Finkus, uh, former All American defensive end from Ohio State, who uh, still lives in Columbus, does a lot of media in Columbus. Uh, Matt and I got to be friends when uh, uh, we were both uh, living in Glasgow, Scotland, and I was writing a book on the Scottish Claymores of NFL Europe, and Matt was playing for the Claymores. And uh, he does a great job of breaking down Ohio State. And uh, we're going to talk about Ohio State's chances to win the national championship and really examine their, their matchup against Georgia when we come back. This is Big Noon Sports. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online... Love the dire straits. All right. 
Let's talk some college football playoffs. Georgia versus Ohio State, to me, is very, very intriguing. I don't think Georgia wants any bit of Ohio State. I really don't. This is a dangerous team. And I think, frankly, Ohio State's going to win the national championship. But here to uh, break the game down is Matt Finkus, former defensive end, All-American at Ohio State, and a longtime commentator uh, on Ohio State football and all things Big Ten. Matt, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Um, as we get closer to uh, the kickoff here of Georgia-Ohio State on Sunday, uh, or excuse me, on Saturday in Atlanta, I know it's going to be a big home field advantage for Georgia, but uh, what, are, what are the keys to victory for Ohio State? I think the keys to victory for Ohio State are, you know, really – trying to eliminate the big plays. Uh, I think it's gonna, you're going to have to see a little bit a different defensive game plan from Jim Knowles than what they brought into Michigan. Um, you know, I mean, when you get a, up against these really talented teams that have a you know, good skill level, when you're talking about either Michigan or Georgia or, you know, or, or, or you know, any of the top-level teams, you can't just you know, go in and play zero coverage on third and nine. You, you know, you've you got to be smart about that. And I know, and I know that you know, that's his personality, that's his style, but, I mean, you know, I love the aggressiveness of it, but you've got to have a modicum of sense to it and make sure that you're you know, playing within the bounds of the game and knowing the situational uh, aspects of the football game. But I think that's what really got away from them there in that Michigan game. So I expect to see that, and I think the other key is just protection. I, th- I think that if the Ohio State offensive line can protect T.J. Stroud, I think what you saw in that LSU game as far as the passing game, now obviously LSU was you know, coming from behind and having to throw quite a bit, but – I mean, you've got, in my opinion, the best player in college football, Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, forget that he didn't win the Bolitnikoff. The kids should have won the Heisman. I mean, he was the best player in college football. And I think that, you know, C.J. Stroud being able to, to come at him if he's got time, hit some crossing routes, really protect and be able to, to deliver the football on time to those wide receivers. Mix in the running game just enough, but, I mean, be able to, to protect and give him time. I think that's going to be your key to the to the game, and I think that they've shown that they've been able to do that quite a bit. Now I know you're an Ohio State guy, um, but there was a lot of controversy on you know who should be number four and who should get in. Do you feel that they got it right? Uh, do you feel Ohio State deserves to be in that in that fourth spot? I think they did. I mean, I think who else you're, are you going to put in there? I mean, maybe USC. Um, I think if you look at this from a even from an objective standpoint, I mean, you've got a loss. It was a one score game until you know you got a late touchdown by the Wolverines in that one. But it's a one score game in the fourth quarter. Granted, it's at home, but it's the number two team in the country. They're undefeated. You know, I mean, I, I think you're in the same situation that you've had in years past with uh, you know Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and those years where you had two really good SEC teams. Uh, you know, and they battle it out in the championship game or in a regular season game and one loses and the, and the other one is, is right there. So I think that it's the same scenario. I think that they're just as good as anybody in that top four. Matt, it seems odd to say this, but uh, from afar, it, it appears that Ryan Day has been taking some criticism for uh, the, the back-to-back losses to Michigan. Is that warranted? In Columbus, Ohio, it is for sure. 
mean, it's just, you know, I mean, you're, you're judged by, by your record against the team up north. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. That's John Cooper. He's a Hall of Fame coach at the College Football Hall of Fame. He's in the Ohio State Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, he really can be credited with, you know, the resurgence of Ohio State after Woody Hayes and back into national prominence and, you know, and building teams the, the way that, you know, has really, you know, kind of pioneered the Big Ten forward and, you know, getting guys from across the country to come here, not just building the fence around Ohio and, and you know, recruiting speed and, and really kind of modeling it after, you know, some of the Western, West Coast and Southern schools. And he was run out of town and <laughs> because he couldn't, because he couldn't beat Michigan. So, you know, I think that, you know, that pressure is always here. And unless you're from here, you don't understand it. I get from the outside looking in, people are like, oh my God, the guy's lost like five games in his entire career. And they're talking about running him out of town. But it's, I mean, it's legit here. I mean, it is. And, you know, Ryan's going to have to figure out a way to, to get that, uh, get that monkey off of his back and, and move forward. I mean, I don't think that Gene Smith is, is out there looking for another coach or anything, but the outside pressure and, and the, you know, and the, and the pressure from the fan base and the boosters, is, is, I mean, it's real. Matt, the other matchup in the college football playoffs this season is uh, the Fiesta Bowl, which will have uh, TCU facing Michigan. Uh, I'm not sure what you've seen out of TCU. I know you probably watched a good bit of, of Michigan, but uh, could you preview that matchup and, and what, your, what your thoughts are on that, that game? Yeah, I mean, I think that TCU has been kind of a surprise team all year long. I mean, they, you know, they've been in close games where they've been counted out. You know, they did lose that close one to Kansas State at the end of the year. But, you know, they're a team that, you know, 12 times out of 13 finds a way to win, you know, despite whatever kind of adversity that they're facing and despite having some bad play, you know, they find a way to win. They find a way to get it done. They've got some talented wide receivers. They've got a really good quarterback. Uh, you know, defensively, they play aggressively. I think that Michigan is going to have to rely on fundamentals. You know, they're going to have to run the football. They're going to have to try to keep the ball out of the hands of, of TCU's offense. And, you know, and, and hopefully you get some guys that are able to, to chew some clock for the Wolverines and play solid defense. And I think that, uh, you know, that's a recipe they've been using all year. I think that's what they're going to use again. So TCU is going to require, require some explosive plays, I think, and frankly, some turnovers. I, th I think Michigan is a solid, solid football team. You look back at what Harbaugh was doing kind of at, um, you know, at Stanford at the time and even a little bit at San Diego State. And he's modeled this team after that that recipe. You know, it's a solid run game. They throw just enough with the play action to hit some big plays here and there. They play really good aggressive defense. They can rush the passer. And they're, they're just solid fundamentally. And I think, you know, that's what they're, they're going to be and that's who they're going to be. And, and TCU is going to have to try to maybe force them into some errors. I know Ohio State, you know, wasn't able to do that. And that was kind of the downfall with the big swing in the third quarter. So, uh, you know, I like the Wolverines to win this. I honestly think it's going to be an Ohio State-Michigan rematch in the national championship. I think Ohio State wins that game by a touchdown or so, and I think Michigan pulls out a close one there, and you're going to see a Big Ten rematch in the national championship game. But, uh, but that's why they play them on the field. <laughs> I, I'm with you 100. percent I, I think the committee kind of gamed it, so uh, the potential is there for Ohio State Michigan rematch. Uh, in all honesty, I, I think TCU should have been uh, third, or I'm sorry, they should have been fourth. Ohio State should have been third, but then they the committee didn't want that quick rematch of Ohio State Michigan. Just my my uh, conspiracy theory coming out there. There might but, be something uh, to that. Matt, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
How is uh, Ohio State managing the uh, the NIL? Uh, just you know, I've been watching recruiting, and, and Ohio State certainly has another really good class, uh, top five nationally. Uh, no surprise there. But uh, how is Ohio State in 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 sort of the 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 collective that is formed there in Columbus? How are they managing uh, just dealing with NIL, and and how is that factoring in in the recruiting process? Well, I think you're seeing a factor in huge to the recruiting process, and and you know honestly, unfortunately, because you're you're paying for lack of a better word. I mean, actually, not lack of a better word. You're paying kids to come in on potential. I mean, you don't know how a kid's going to be coming out of high school, eighteen year old kid, how he's going to translate into the uh, into college football. I mean, you know, out of every given class of twenty twenty five guys, I'd say probably depending on the school, half of them come through. Half of them come through and play their four years or their three years and graduate. Maybe it's less than half. So, I mean, you know, I don't like the idea of NIL factoring into the recruiting so much. You know, I think that that there's a lot of work to be done in the NIL space, uh, not just with recruiting and and how you factor these things in, but, uh, but, you know, in the transfer portal and those kind of things as well. I mean, it's just, it's so much. And and here's the ironic thing, you know, for, for years and years, everyone complained about NIL, NIL, and, you know, name, image, and likeness. And the schools are making all this money, and they're not giving any of it to the kids. That's still the case. The schools are still making all this money, and they're not giving any of it to the kids. I mean, they are, like, you know, with jersey sales and things like that. But the money's coming from the, from the community. It's coming from alumni. It's coming from boosters. So it's not like these schools who are making, you know, all this money in their athletic budget are cutting in their, their athletic budgets to pay these kids anything extra, which, I mean, obviously, if you look at the at the economics of an athletic department, the vast majority, I think, you know, at one time there were six or ten that actually made money, and obviously Ohio State was one of them. But, I mean, you know, you're funding all the Olympic-level sports and those kind of things that go, go along with it, so there's not a lot of extra money to go around. But, you know, I, it's a, it's right now it's the absolute wild west and it's dirty. And I think it's, it's bad for the game in all aspects. And I think that sooner or later, these athletic directors are going to have to get together and organize something. You know, I mean, you hear about you know, the power five conferences pulling out of the NCAA, forming a different body to kind of regulate this themselves. I think that's what's going to have to happen. Um, you, you've got to have some, some controls around this. You've got to have um, I mean, even in the NFL, there's salary caps. There's, you know, there's there's regulations on what you can spend on teams and players. And you know, I'm all for the free market system, but what you're getting is not the free market. You're you're just getting pay to play and dirty money that's coming in and is now being washed in you know in a legal fashion. And you know, I mean, with tax, I mean, again, so many aspects of this. But when the IRS starts getting involved in some of these things as well, I mean, when when businesses or booster businesses are donating a million dollars to the university, to a university collective, so to speak, that's a 501c3 and writing that off as either a charitable donation or marketing, man, the IRS is going to start looking at that. The government doesn't, doesn't like you to be able to have to keep your money. I mean, I think we all know that. I think that there's going to be some real interesting aspects of this coming down the pike that uh, that's going to require some scrutiny and it's going to require some regulation and some just, you know, some structure to it. There's just no structure right now, and it's bad. Matt, if NIL was around back when you played, obviously it wasn't around when I played either, and I just got to not too long ago, what would your value be, and, and what company would you want to work with? Who would you want to sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. You know, we joke. You know, I talk to the guys I play with. I mean, 
NIL was kind of around. It just wasn't necessarily legal at the time. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, everyone still got, you know, some free dinners here and there and some benefits and perks and those kind of things. But, I mean, some you know, I mean, FedEx funny, envelopes, I was maybe. To, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just never know. I mean, those kind of things floated around for years. I mean, but, you know, I mean, the honest, you know, what I would love to see, I mean, there's so much potential for this NIL, all joking aside. I mean, guys from, from my generation and even younger, you know, that go through college, that, that even that make it into the pros, there's such a, you know, a, a tendency for them to end up broke and to misuse funds and mismanage funds. I would love this NIL to be a way for them to just start learning about how to manage money, how to be able to take care of themselves, how to be able to make smart decisions, you know, down the road where they just, you know, for years and years and years, that has not been the case. This is an opportunity. I mean, it can be viewed as an opportunity as that and i think that you know hopefully i know you know ohio state is trying to help them with that and and trying to do that i hope other schools are too but you know what my value would have been probably not very much when i started you know now by the end of my career i might have been able to get get a couple deals here and there but you know i just you know i just like like a nice place to go eat and and, uh, and a nice place to live i'd have been a happy camper (laughs) hey when was the last time ohio state was a six and a half point underdog like they are right now Oh, I mean, probably the national championship game a couple of years ago against Bama, if I had to guess. I mean, that that, that was uh, probably a little bit of a mismatch that I don't know what the spread was for that game, but I would imagine it was in that realm, somewhere between four and seven. Um, I, I think that's another benefit for uh, for the Buckeyes. I mean, you know, Urban as a coach, and uh, hopefully he passed this down to Ryan, no one, and Trestle did it as well. No one plays the underdog role better than the Buckeyes, and I think that's because you they just so rarely get to do it. That it's such a nuance for them. It's such a you know them against the world kind of mentality that comes out. You know, I love that part of this game as well. You know, them being an underdog and having that mentality, I think, is a big benefit for them. Yeah, and and I'm with you. I I like Ohio State to uh, to go all the way, and I, I think it's going to be Michigan and Ohio State in the final. But uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Really insightful stuff, and uh, we'll talk soon. Good luck to your Buckeyes. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. All right, we will finish up the show. This is Big Noon Sports. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. See the road ahead more clearly with Sylvania Bulbs and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, purchase select Sylvania Bulbs and get up to a... Though 48 today, time high. Clear overnight tonight, below by morning near 29. And for tomorrow, sunny and warmer, a bit breezy at times. Today, time high on your Wednesday around 58 degrees. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 53 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back into the final few minutes of Big News Sports. Lars Anderson, Christian Miller. Christian, what are your thoughts on uh, the game that we were just talking about, the national national semifinal between Ohio State and Georgia? I think it's going to be a really good matchup. Um, you know, obviously Ohio State has C.J. Stroud and 
Marvin Harrison Jr., who I, I do believe probably should have won the Bolitnikoff uh, Award the season, which is uh, awarded to the, the nation's top wide receiver. Uh, the guy is just electric, has amazing body control, makes so many contested catches, uh, so fluid in his routes. Um, he just He's one of those guys that's always making a highlight reel type of catch. And um, I'm really excited. I think it's a big matchup, and it's going to be a big challenge for Georgia's defense, who has played phenomenal this year. You know, they're very aggressive. They're very stout. Um, you know, they, they, they just do a lot of things very well. They play with a lot of tenacity. Um, so I, I'm excited for the matchup. Uh, I think that's going to be a really good game. You know, Georgia does kind of have that home field advantage, so to speak, you know, with the game being in Atlanta. But um, still, I expect a really good football game. And, and TCU-Michigan, man, I, I think that's going to be interesting, too. You know, Max Duggan, you know, brings a lot to the table and, and really puts – TCU in a position to to always have a chance to win just because with the grit he plays with the competitiveness he plays with his leadership skills um, but Michigan again they're just so profound and in their fundamentals and they you know they, they run that kind of pro style type of offense you know running the ball you know I'm pretty sure they're going to be without their their leading rusher uh, who's out with a knee injury um, but still backup seem to come in and do a good job for them and uh, I expect them to uh, you know, go out there and, and, and play one of their best games too, as well against TCU. So I'm excited. It's, you know, it's unfortunate that Alabama's not in it this year, but I'm also excited to see what they, they do in the Sugar Bowl. Um, Cause I think it's a, a, a tremendous opportunity for them to kind of get back uh, on track and, and proving to themselves, um, you know, that they can continue that standard of excellence and playing to the Alabama standard. And uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. We've got a lot of good football games coming up. Yeah, this is a great time of year. I mean, football, football, football. It's uh, it, it's awesome, and it's almost like uh, you, you just don't want it to end. Quick question about recruiting. The fact that Alabama is not in the playoffs, and, and our producer Josh Smith brought this up, the fact that Alabama is not in the playoffs, does that give Coach Saban and the staff just a little bit more time to hit the recruiting trail? And Is, is that possibly a reason? why Alabama finished so strong uh, in, 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 in wrapping up, uh, or at least basically wrapping up this uh, unprecedented recruiting class? Yes and no. Yes, they probably did have more time than they typically would if they were. Well, actually, not. now that I say that, it might not really have been that much more time. Uh, the more time would have come from not playing in the SEC championship game, if I'm being honest. Uh, the right. preparation yeah. for the Sugar Bowl is going to be the same almost as if they're preparing for the quarterfinal or the semifinal, excuse me, in the, in the playoffs. But um, I, I think I think the, they come away with that class strictly because you got Coach Saban in, in Alabama. And that's the, the effect that Alabama Coach Saban has on guys. They want to go play for championships. They want to play um, for a program that uh, has proven uh, to put guys in the league year in and year out. And not only that, but guys that have success at the next level. So um, I think that ultimately is, is how you get recruits here. You know, anytime you have success, people want to be a part of it. I don't care you know, whether it's football or a business, you know, anything that is successful, people want to join and be a part of it. Same reason why people come and poach coaches off of our coaching staff. They see the success and they, they, they want a piece of it. So um, I, I think that's more the reason why Alabama always is able to get these recruiting classes that we see year in and year out. Yeah, it's just amazing. Every other team in the country scratching and clawing to get a, just a few four stars on their team. Alabama has twenty and five or and seven five stars. All right, we got to go. This is Big Noon Sports. We'll see you in twenty-two hours. 
My friend and I are taking a trip to Mexico this year, but neither of us speak Spanish. So we downloaded Babbel and started learning Spanish fast. Want to start getting conversational in another 